Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Whether or not in Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. You know, I used to say, early on when I was a kid, I'd say, when I was a young senator, I'd say, if I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. I am a Zionist. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. Now, we've said previously in this series that American citizens who are Jews make up about 2% of the population. Now, if you look at how influential they are and the key positions that they hold, this is disproportionate to their population here. But... That's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Well, I think you have to look at the macrocosm. You look at, as a whole, if there was a certain group who had many key positions and were very influential, if they had, say, similar goals that are just not even talked about in the mainstream, that could be a real issue for a country, a company, an organization, anything. So I think that's something that we need to possibly consider. Now, this episode, we're just going to kind of take a look at some very influential Jewish figures out there and kind of talk about that. And I thought there wouldn't be any better place than to start with the current presidential administration or the Biden-Harris administration, if you will. Now, keep in mind, as I've mentioned before, again, the U.S. taxpayer gives Israel about $3.8 billion a year seems like it's always going up, and eight-plus billion in loan guarantees, plus all the other special favors and deals. It seems like that the U.S. is basically carrying out Israel's foreign policy oftentimes, and that's hard to argue, although people still do. Now, that, that really averages out to about $10 million per day to this country in the Middle East. 
and we don't even get a say in their voting. Now let's check it out here. This is the Biden administration. We're going to look at a few key figures who happen to be Jewish. I'm sure that there's no underlying conspiracy here, but we're going to look at it anyway. Anthony Blinken, who is Secretary of State. And also, let's think about Mr. Blinken's father and stepmother, who worked for the Open Society Foundation for years and have an archive in their name. Now, as I mentioned on the George Soros episode I did, Anthony Blinken's stepfather was Robert Maxwell's lawyer. So this is a small world here. Moving on to David Cohen, head of the CIA, another very important position. Merrick Garland, Attorney General. Avril Haines, Director of National Intelligence. And she belongs to several really important warmongering think tanks and policy institutes. Ronald Klain, Chief of Staff. Eric Lander, Office of Science and Tech Policy Director. Rachel or Ralph Levine, or Levine, however it says it, Deputy Health Secretary. Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Anne Neuberger, NSA Cybersecurity Director. Wendy Sherman, Deputy Secretary of State. Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, and I believe former head of the Federal Reserve. At least she was on the board anyway. We'll have to go back and look. Now, that was from the Times of Israel, by the way. That's where I got those names from an article there. And this is from JTA.org, a Jewish website. Congress is now three times more Jewish than the United States as a whole. Now, we don't have to get into that article, but I'll still put it in my show notes. Here's another article from JTA.org. 37 Jewish members of Congress. That's from 2021. Now, we'll look quickly at the Federal Reserve. We'll kind of break it up here, and then we'll go on to a couple other presidential administrations and see how they kind of add up. But it's nothing new as far as the Biden administration goes to have a lot of key figures who are Jewish. But you look at the Federal Reserve, and of course, it started off with Paul Warburg and Jacob Schiff. And there was intermarriage in that family, and it went on to produce other members who were very influential in banking. And it was a way to keep the family, keep the money in the family. And this is something that's been going on for a long, long time, and not just in Jewish circles. Henry Morgenthau Jr. was another one. Of course, more recently, Jerome Powell, and we mentioned Janet Yellen. Stanley Fisher was also vice chair to Yellen and led the Bank of Israel for nine years. Paul Volcker, of course. Many of you remember that name. Ben Bernanke. Of course, we all remember that, as well as Alan Greenspan. And Eugene Meyer. Meyer went on to purchase the Washington Post, a paper that remained in his family hands until it was sold to Amazon's Jeff Bezos, another Jewish fellow. And in 1946, Eugene Mayer went on to become the president of the World Bank. Now it says here, Republican Donald Trump received 24% of the Jewish vote in 2016, compared with 71% for Democrat Hillary Clinton. That's from the Atlanta Jewish Times. 
Here's an article from the Crescent City Jewish News, and it's entitled, Meet the Jews in Donald Trump's Administration. It says here, Many have expressed worries about some of his supporters' ties to the so-called alt-right movement, whose followers traffic variously in white nationalism, anti-immigration sentiment, and anti-Semitism, and a disdain for political correctness. Those fears intensified when Trump named as his chief strategist Stephen Bannon, the former chairman of Breitbart News. Wait a minute, wasn't Breitbart started by Andrew Breitbart, who was Jewish? Trump's strongly conservative cabinet picks also back policies on health care, the environment, abortion, and civil rights often diametrically opposed to the views of most Jewish voters. Yet others have praised Trump's stance on Israel and his nomination of David Friedman, a bankruptcy lawyer who supports the West Bank settlement construction and has expressed doubts about the two-state solution as a U.S. ambassador to Israel. Trump won 24% of the Jewish vote, with especially strong support in the Orthodox community. Now, here is talking about some of his advisors, and of course they mention Jared Kushner, Trump's Orthodox son-in-law. And we know that he is a part of the Chabad sect, a very conservative sect who practices mysticism and Kabbalah. And of course, Kushner is married to Ivanka Trump. Apparently, that's all you have to do is marry someone Jewish, and you can become almost uncriticizable. I even saw an article by CNN that said, Ivanka Trump, the most powerful Jewish woman in the world. We mentioned David Friedman before. Jason Greenblatt, the longtime chief legal officer for the Trump Organization, is working as a special representative for the international negotiations focusing on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Steven Mnuchin, we know former Skull and Bones member Mnuchin, was a former Goldman Sachs executive who worked as Trump's national finance chairman during the campaign to serve as Treasury Secretary. Stephen Miller. Trump named Miller, who has played a crucial role in his campaign by writing speeches and warming up crowds at rallies as senior advisor for policy. Carl Econ. Econ, a businessman and investor, is serving as a special advisor on regulatory reform issues. He is working as a private citizen rather than a federal employee or special government employee. Gary Kahn, Kahn, the outgoing president and chief operating officer of Goldman Sachs, heads of the White House National Economic Council. Boris Epstein, Epstein, a Republican political strategist who appeared as a Trump surrogate on TV, is working as a special assistant to the president. David Shulkin. Shulkin is the Undersecretary for Health at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Reed Cordish. Trump chose Cordish, who is friends with his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, to serve as assistant to the president for intragovernmental and technological initiatives. Avram Berkowitz, 27, is serving as a special assistant to Trump and assistant to Jared Kushner. Now, that was several Jewish people who worked in the Trump administration, and we know that Trump was very close to the Jewish cause, whatever that might be. You know, he won the Tree of Life Kabbalah Award there in New York, and I pointed that out in like 2015 or 2016 because I ran across a video of that. Nobody wanted to talk about it at the time. You know, it's funny because Trump is a real Zionist. I think I don't think there's any question about that. And 
I saw some stupid meme the other day on Twitter, and it was a fellow who had a Jewish last name, and he had posted it, and it had a picture of Trump, a picture of Putin, and a picture of none other than Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and they all had their little Hitler mustaches. And I thought that was really ironic because I had been posting on my Instagram a few weeks ago Ron DeSantis's trip to Israel and his different speeches in front of these different various Zionist organizations. There's quite a few of them. He's definitely not a Hitler. He's just the opposite. And, of course, we know that Trump has been very close to Netanyahu and the Likud party and the Orthodox, they really liked Trump, at least they used to. So that's ridiculous to say that. And it, well, look at Putin, you know, something that we mentioned on the episodes we did about Russia. Putin has a street named after him in Bethlehem. Now, maybe this guy on Twitter didn't know any better, or maybe he's just a typical new wave liberal who doesn't care about the truth. But anyway, it's ridiculous what a lot of people put out without being called out on their BS, and I didn't say anything because, you know, you're just going to start this big, long argument on Twitter. It's really not even worth it because people don't even listen to each other. And, you know, I had mentioned earlier the Federal Reserve, started by Jacob Schiff and Paul Warburg, several Jewish families and others. Well, Peter Schiff and Adam Schiff are both descendants of Jacob Schiff. It was funny because I was looking just a few weeks ago at the creation of the Federal Reserve, and I'd remembered reading all that stuff years and years ago and the Jewish influence there and the intermarriage and all that good stuff. And I came across in a search, it said, I think I looked up Jacob Schiff in the Federal Reserve or something like that. And lo and behold, it pulled up an ADL website that said something about the anti-Semitic conspiracy about Jews starting the Federal Reserve. And then directly underneath it, from The Forward, which is a liberal Israeli Jewish news site, it said, the Jewish influence in the creation of the Federal Reserve. So, you know, it's right there, the, the ADL is totally full of crap. But, you know, what do you expect? Now, let's look at the Obama administration and the Jewish influence there. We've got Tony Blinken. Deputy National Security Advisor, Danielle Boren, Director of Intergovernmental Affairs and Deputy Director of Public Engagement, Gary Gensler, Chairman, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Jonathan Greenblatt, Special Assistant to the President and Director, Office of Social Innovation and Civic Participation, Jack Liu, Secretary of the Treasury, Eric Lin, Middle East Policy Advisor, Matt Nosanchuk, Associate Director, Office of Public Engagement for Jewish Outreach. David Plouffe, Senior Advisor to the President. Daniel Rubenstein, Ambassador to Syria. Dan Shapiro, Ambassador to Israel. Jean Sperling, Director, National Economic Council. Aviva Sufian, Special Envoy to U.S. Holocaust Survivors Services. Adam Shusbin, Director, Office of Foreign Assets Control, Treasury. Janet Yellen again, Chairwoman, Federal Reserve. David Cohen, Deputy Director of Central Intelligence Agency. David Saperstein, Ambassador for Religious Freedom. 
Amy Rosenbaum, Director of Legislative Affairs. That might be related to her. Rafi Friedman Gerspan, Liaison to the LGBT Community. Wendy Sherman, Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. Jason Furman, Chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Thomas Nides, Deputy Secretary of State for Management and Resources. Are you guys getting tired yet? This is huge. There's former members in the Obama administration. That must have been the later members. Ben Bernanke, Chairman, Federal Reserve. Mary Shapiro, Chairwoman, Securities and Exchange. Stephen Simon, Senior Director, Middle East, North Africa, National Security Council. Rahm Emanuel, Chief of Staff of the President. Did you know that Rahm Emanuel actually served in the Israeli military? And then somehow he was able to come over here and be the assistant to the president. David Axelrod, senior advisor to the president. Elena Kagan, solicitor general of the United States. Peter Orzag, director of office management and budget. Lawrence Summers, director of National Economic Council. Do you think there is an influence there? Mona Sutfin, deputy White House chief of staff. James B. Steinberg, deputy secretary of state. Dennis Ross, Special Assistant to the President. Ronald Klain, Chief of Staff to the Vice President. Wait a minute, was this a United States presidential administration or was this an Israeli presidential administration? I'm beginning to wonder. Jared Bernstein, Chief Economist, Economic Policy Advisor to the Vice President. Susan Scher, Chief of Staff to the First Lady. Lee Feinstein, Campaign Foreign Policy Advisor. Mara Rudman, Foreign Policy Advisor. This was all from the Jewish Virtual Library, by the way. I mean, I don't have to tell you again how disproportionate this is as compared to the small percentage of Jews here in the United States. Mostly Ashkenazi, by the way, and we learned that in the first episode of Those We Don't Speak Of. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think we need to look at how corrupt these administrations are and have been, the wars they've gotten us into, the money that they have wasted, I think that we need to look at the freedoms we have lost and we need to start asking, who the hell is running this country? Who the hell are these bureaucrats? Who really controls it? And is there an end goal? Are we looking at some kind of twisted Tikkun Olam that doesn't really represent what Americans want? I think it's way past time to ask that, and it's probably too late to do anything about it. But at least, if you were aware of the problem, then you have the truth on your side. I just wanted to say something finishing up on this Obama administration. We were led to believe the entire Obama administration that he was against Israel, he was anti-Semitic, He was a Muslim who was anti-Semitic. That's what the conservative media drilled in our heads constantly. So did the Jewish and Israeli media. And all along, you see that this has been a very, very Jewish-influenced administration. And it makes me wonder, you know, he continued the wars of George W. Bush, which were against the Israelis' enemies, because all Muslims are Israelis' enemies, except for the ones that they're doing business deals with. 
kind of gets confusing in there. And then we had under Obama and Biden, we had this Iranian nuke deal. And that was a huge deal. And of course, you really heard the anti-Semitism comments coming out of the right-wing media and the Israeli media. But it kind of leads me to believe that, you know what, what if all that was purposeful to keep the funding coming in because Israel needs to be protected from Iran? You know, we hear these ramblings over time about how Iran is actually controlled by the West. And I'm not saying I believe that wholeheartedly, but wouldn't it be interesting if it was And it was just that convenient boogeyman like Russia is and like North Korea is to justify spending endless amounts of money and time on alleged protection and alleged security. So I just wanted to throw that out there because you had a lot of very important appointees who were Jewish in the Obama administration. And it kind of goes against what we were led to believe because I know listening to pastor of the church that I was going to, and now I'm just kind of listening to some of his sermons here and there. And I respected the guy, and I liked a lot of what he was saying, and still do, but he has a political show, basically, on the side with another guy. And he's so pro-Zionist that it's really been a turnoff. It's just blind allegiance. And any little thing that's said about Israel, he jumps to the conclusion that these people are anti-Semitic and they are anti-Israeli. And he said something about the some, some policy that the Biden administration had put in place or even speculated on, and, oh, they're going against Israel, they're going against Israel. And I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous when you actually look at what's happening. Look at how Biden has said he is a Zionist more than once. He has said that if there wasn't an Israel, America would have to invent an Israel to protect its assets overseas in the Middle East. So these guys, they just say these things, and I don't know if they don't know any of the the behind-the-scenes activities and facts, or they're just lying or relying on their emotions and not even considering the big picture. But anyway, I think this gives us a better premise of those Obama years because, remember, not only did he continue the George W. Bush wars. He started many other wars as well, bombing places. Remember bombing the school? But that was just a tiny fraction of the bombing that took place. We had more soldiers die under Obama than even under George W. Bush. Uh, We supported the Saudis in Yemen. So I think we need to just put all these facts together. And, you know, it's just part of the big picture. We're still adding the puzzle pieces I always say it's up to you guys to put it together and make up your own minds. Now let's take a look at the George W. Bush administration again from the Jewish Virtual Library. Now we start off with Elliot Abrams, Director of the National Security Council, Office for Democracy, Human Rights and International Operations. Human Rights is hilarious. So, Elliot Abrams is a longtime Council on Foreign Relations member. I've talked about him in the past. He is actually one of the main directors of the National Endowment for Democracy right now, which we know is an arm of the Central Intelligence Agency. 
Again, one more time, I'm going to say this on the show. He is the guy that Trump appointed to try and stage a coup in Venezuela, but for some reason, it did not work. Uh, Jeffrey Berkowitz, White House liaison to the Jewish community. Stuart Bernstein, ambassador to Denmark. Now, we've learned how important these ambassadors are when we did our shows on the Pilgrim Society. Many ambassadors have made their way through the Pilgrims, and it's a way to get dirty deeds done dirt cheap and make sure that your businessmen and your compatriot politicians will get what they want when they're dealing with these other countries. Brad Blakeman, White House Director of Scheduling. Josh Bolton, Chief of Staff. Nancy Brinker, Ambassador to Hungary, and then Chief of the Protocol for the State Department. Michael Chertoff, what a nasty-looking little man. Head of the Justice Department's Criminal Division. Douglas Faith, Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. Ari Fleischer, White House Press Secretary. David Frum, Speechwriter. Chris Gersten, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary, Administration for Children and Families at HHS. Adam Goldman, White House Liaison to the Jewish Community. Blake Gottesman, President's Personal Aide. Jeremy L. Katz, White House Liaison to the Jewish Community. Good Lord. Daniel Kurtzer, Ambassador to Israel. Frank Lavin, Ambassador to Singapore. Jay Lefkowitz, Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of the Domestic Policy Council. I. Lewis Libby, Chief of Staff to the Vice President. Ken Melham, White House Political Director. Again, are you tired yet? John Miller, Director State Department, Office to Monitor and Combat Trafficking in Persons. Michael McCasey, Attorney General. Noam Neusner, White House Liaison to the Jewish Community. Mel Sembler, Ambassador to Italy. Marvin Silverstein, Ambassador to Uruguay. Cliff Sobel, Ambassador to the Netherlands. Tevel Troy, Deputy Secretary, Health and Human Services, Department and Assistant to the President, Domestic Policy. Mark D. Weinberg, Assistant of Housing and Urban Development for Public Affairs. We're getting down to the bottom, guys. Ron Weiser, Ambassador to Slovakia. Paul Wolfowitz, Deputy Secretary of Defense. Dov Zakheim, Undersecretary of Defense. Jay Zadheim, White House Liaison to the Jewish Community. Well, we see what we got with the George W. Bush administration. Horrible war and debt. So if that's not enough to kind of make you think... I just believe that it's important to know who has been running this country for the last 20 or so years, 30, 40 years. Let's look at Bill Clinton. I saw an article today by a Jewish website that uh, said (laughs) Bill Clinton, the first Jewish president. Uh, He had Robert Third Reich, or Robert Reich, however you say that. The guy is one of the most obnoxious tweeters in the world constantly just making these tweets about how horrible wealthy people are, which 
I do that myself, but I put it more in context. It's like he totally omits anybody who's on the left who's wealthy. I mean, you could call this guy out a bazillion times, but there's no reason to do it because the people that like his stuff do not care about the truth. They're just hooked on a feeling. And so, you know, both sides, though, they, they rarely ever want to call out their own side for corruption. But these guys can be as hypocritical as they want, and they can get away with it nowadays. Robert Rubin, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, of course we know who she was, Michael Cantor, Lawrence Summers, Daniel Glickman, Stephen Breyer, Richard Holbrook, Samuel Berger, Jack Lou, Charlene Barashevsky, and William Cohen, to name a few. And I'm sorry I didn't get their positions. I saw an article here from 2010. Bill Clinton is addressing a crowd, and he says, But since I've seen you, I acquired a Jewish son-in-law. He said as the crowd laughed, he really feels part of the Jewish community, and he said since Chelsea Clinton's 2010 marriage to Mark Mezvinsky, he even celebrates the Jewish holidays. It's really nice, isn't it? You know, Alexander Haig, who would have known about these things, said one time, Israel is the largest American aircraft carrier in the world that cannot be sunk, does not carry even one American soldier, and is located in a critical region for American national security. Just like Joe Biden said, if there wasn't an Israel, America would have to invent an Israel to protect their interests overseas. Now, I didn't go back to George H.W. Bush's administration. I do know that he held up some funding for Israel, and I forget why exactly. There was some policy that they'd carried out that he didn't really like. And a lot of people say that is why he did not get elected to a second term, which wouldn't surprise me because we've talked about how powerful the Israeli lobby is. Well, we can look at some very influential figures who happen to be Jewish. Not any certain time frame here, but let's look at them, okay? Henry Kissinger. Has there been a more influential man in the past 50 years on foreign policy than Henry Kissinger? I don't think so. Larry Fink, BlackRock CEO who basically owns the world. I saw an article the other day about the early days of BlackRock. It was a pro-BlackRock article, you know, just reminiscing. And it said that the group that Larry surrounded himself with was actually nicknamed Little Israel because of so many Jewish influencers in his little council there. Stephen A. Schwartzman, CEO, founder of Blackstone, another Skull and Bones guy. Schwartzman also started the Schwartzman Scholarships, who are much like the Rhodes Scholarships, except I believe based more in China, bringing over Chinese students. And it's a subsidiary of BlackRock, so that's interesting. Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah, this transhumanist freak is known for being kind of Klaus Schwab's right-hand man, but he's a professor at the Hebrew University. Even wrote a book on Jewish magic and mysticism before Kabbalah. Of course, we know that 
Zuck, Mark Zuckerberg, of course, the founder of Facebook. You know that he's Jewish, of course, with a name like that. Chucky e. Schumer, very influential. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we mentioned before. Jerome Powell, Fed. Ben Bernanke, Fed. Dianne Feinstein, the biggest gun grabber in the U.S. government. And again, for the umpteenth time, I'll mention that Trump sat right beside her and said, take the guns first, worry about due process later. Madeleine Albright, the late Madeleine Albright. Mm, 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 mm. We talked a little bit about her. She was the lady who said something like half a million Iraqi dead children were worth it. She made a gazillion from her position in government. She was a real creep. Also, she was the head of the National Democratic Institute, which is, again, part of the National Endowment for Democracy. These are CIA-led organizations. We have to talk about the Pritzker Empire out of Chicago and Governor Pritzker there. Very influential, obscenely wealthy family. Gloria Albright, Stanley Fisher, Barbara Boxer, Sigmund Freud, pervert, Michael Bloomberg, very wealthy, influential man, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, founders of Google, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, head of the International Monetary Fund, Sheldon Adelson, entrepreneur and philanthropist, Jeff Zucker, former CEO of NBC Universal. Israel Rigardi, occult writer and assistant to Aleister Crowley. And you know what's funny? Eliphas Levy was actually French, and he changed his name to Eliphas Levy. I don't remember his real name. It was a funky French name, but also a very influential occultist and really one of the biggest influences on Albert Pike, who even ripped off some of Levy's information for his Morals and Dogma book. Of course, Jimmy Kimmel. I found an article in the Times of Israel. It was entitled, The Eight Jewish Justices Who Made the U.S. Supreme Court Jump. It said, All eight justices were essentially liberals in our understanding. David Dallin said, very much left liberal or at least liberal Democrats. Seven of the eight were nominated by Democratic presidents. Another article, I'm just mentioning these for the hell of it. Poland appoints prime minister with Jewish roots. That's also from the Times of Israel. We know that Zelensky from Ukraine is Jewish. But looking at some more influential people from a Jewish background, we have Gloria Allred, feminist lawyer, Marcus Goldman, and Samuel Sachs. Goldman Sachs. The largest media conglomerate today is Walt Disney Company. Their chairman and CEOs are Michael Eisner and Bob Iger. Walt Disney Picture Group, headed up by Joe Roth. Touchstone Pictures, Hollywood Pictures, and Caravan Pictures. Disney also owns Miramax Films, which is run by the Weinstein Brothers. Norman Lear from the Lear Center, very influential guy. Mort Zuckerman. Morris Dees, SPLC. He was found out to have $160 million in offshore accounts and finally had to hang his head in shame 
and get the hell out of the SPLC. Gerald Levin, chairman of Elation Media, Inc. Levin is the former chairman CEO of Time Warner, Inc. Larry Ellison is the Oracle founder. Peter Till, of course. Bernie Madoff, deceased Ponzi schemer, was named the treasurer of the Yeshiva University, the flagship modern Orthodox Jewish institution. Now let's look at the news media for a minute. Maybe you're saying, well, what does this matter to me? And I'm just trying to tell you that there is an influence here that we don't think about. We never think about it. No one ever mentions it. No one's ever mentioned it to me before. We'll just mention a few because there's far too many to try and name them all. Wolf Blitzer, Barbara Walters, Thomas Friedman, Carl Bernstein, Max Boot, Dr. Drew Pinsky, Glenn Greenwald, David Brooks, Chris Wallace, Ann Applebaum, Dana Bash, Matt Drudge. I have a theory that right-wing talk radio has been controlled by Zionists for a while, especially when you look at Michael Savage, Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, Dr. Michael Brown from Ask Dr. Brown, the retired Neil Bortz, the talk master, Dennis Prager, Michael Medved, David Gregory, Christopher Hitchens, Ezra Klein, David Pakman, Gloria Steinem, the Weinstein Brothers, the late Larry King. He would not die. Larry King undead. Eve Barlow, Ted Koppel, Katie Turr, Ken Silverstein, Seymour Hirsch, Chuck Todd. I didn't know that one. Jake Tapper, one of the main faces you'll see when you turn on the news. Of course, Joy Behar. Uh, it says here Jeffrey Tubin, which I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but he's the guy who got caught skinning his squirrel on a Zoom call. Bill Maher, of course. Christopher Hitchens. John Stewart. Howard Stern. Jerry Springer. Again, Jimmy Kimmel. Matt Lauer. David Brooks from the New York Times. The late Carl Sagan. Trevor Noah. Brad Meltzer, author. Jim Cramer. Ezra Klein, Vox, David Pakman, Katie Couric, and John King, CNN. I know we mentioned a couple of those twice, forgive me. Dana Bash, CNN. Ron Brownstein, CNN. John Berman, CNN. Jill Abramson, former executive director of the New York Times. Mari Povich, Anton Levy, or Anton LaVey. Ken Silverstein, who founded Counterpunch, writer for Harper's Magazine, Mother Jones, The Nation, Salon.com, Slate, The American Prospect, and Washington Monthly. Ayn Rand, which we've mentioned before, that was not a real name. Geraldo Rivera, some very influential people that we all, mostly all of us, are familiar with to some degree, who've had a bigger influence and impact on our lives than we'll ever know. So I think that uh, what I'm talking about here, I hope you can appreciate, because it's time that we started asking ourselves who has been influencing our country and our world, and is there perhaps, possibly, some things that some of these very influential people have in common? Are they trying to push an agenda, not just the globalist agenda, but is there maybe another agenda that they're trying to push? 
Uh, if nothing else, we should be concerned that there is a bias towards not just the Palestinians, but anyone who stands up against Israelis and their political policies. Because as I've always tried to say, when I first started waking up here, you know, when our pastors and, and people on the right, they'll, they'll make these blanket statements about basically anyone who has anything to say about anyone who is an Israeli or Jewish, they're anti-Semitic, no matter what it might be. And so you think about that, and you think about people like Chuck Schumer and Ron DeSantis, the left and the right, both supporting these laws that would essentially make it or does make it against the law to critique or call out someone who's Jewish or to refuse to buy Israeli products because you feel like they're not doing the right thing or they're abusing people or they're, you just don't want to support that country. They're trying to outlaw all that. That tells me if these guys can outlaw that kind of stuff and invest in those companies in that country, isn't that a conflict of interest? I think it is, and I think it's very dangerous. It would be dangerous no matter what country or what ethnicity we were talking about. So don't get me wrong there. We have collusion. We have this good old boy network that's been going on for God knows how long. You can call it crony capitalism, protectionism, whatever you want to call it. But this is dangerous. This is not good for any country. And I just want people to be aware of it. You know, you talk about Big Pharma and the Jewish influence there. You have Albert Berea, who's the head of Pfizer. And he, I believe, is the fellow who came out and recommended people get the next booster, which was pretty much unheard of for someone from a drug company or a manufacturing company to recommend that. It's usually the CDC who does that type of thing or the World Health Organization. Not that I have a lot of faith in them either, but this is just not a good thing. Leonard Schliefer, that is Regeneron. Saul Bearer, who now serves as the chairman of Teva Pharmaceuticals Industry Limited. Israel's Teva Pharmaceutical Industries Limited acquired Dublin-based Allergen PLC's generic pharmaceuticals business for $40.5 billion. Martin Rothblatt, United Therapeutics Corp. Alex Gorski, Johnson & Johnson. That's just a drop in the bucket. Let's look at the Biden COVID regime. COVID Senior Advisor, Andy Slavitt. CDC Director, Rochelle P. Walensky. CDC Deputy Director, Ann Shukat. CDC Chief of Staff, Sherry A. Berger. CDC Medical Officer, Mitchell Wolf. CDC Director, Washington Office, Jeff Rezek. COVID Czar, Jeffrey Zions. His name is practically Zion. And the Moderna vaccine was originally created by Tal Zaks. You know, I said something the other day that I guess was offensive, but I've been saying this for a while. I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Elon Omar wasn't on the payroll of some Zionist or Israeli lobby. Because anytime she comes out, it's just blind, blind hatred towards her. And I get it. She said some stupid things, but not everything she says is wrong. And people just run immediately 
to the defense of Israel and start calling anti-Semitism out, even when it's not warranted, often when it's not warranted, it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. And you go back to the war on terror, you think about, as bad as I hate to mention this group once again, PNAC, the Project for a New American Century, which was a think tank, and it was created by Robert Kagan, the husband of Victoria Newland. We know what a warmonger she is. We've learned that through Ukraine, working now again with the Biden administration and also a member of the German Council on Foreign Relations and a longtime member of the National Endowment for Democracy. You see them coming in once again. So PNAC was started by these neocons, and they had a Jewish influence there. Robert Kagan and William Crystal were two of the biggest influences. They're the guys that started it. And they had the phrase in their papers, it's where we hear the term the New Pearl Harbor. The phrase was, the process of transformation, even if it brings revolutionary change, is likely to be a long one, absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a New Pearl Harbor. They were talking about how it would take this drastic event to take place before we could update our military and different things in government. And I think I mentioned earlier, Elliot Abrams was a part of that. Of course, Dick Cheney, Elliot A. Cohen, Aaron Friedberg, Scooter Libby, Stephen P. Rosen, and Paul D. Wolfowitz, just to name a few. So there was a lot going on before 9-11. Of course, we know that Larry Silverstein owned the Twin Towers, and that's a whole another rabbit hole, of course. Even remember that Netanyahu said, I believe on Glenn Beck, that he wrote a book saying that terrorists may attack the Twin Towers. He even bragged about that, and later on, in public, actually said that the attack on the Twin Towers actually helped Israel. So, you know, you got to think about these things as a whole once again. I had a friend a while back, a couple of years ago, when I was coming out of the kind of libertarian mindset, and he said, because he knew nothing about libertarians, he said, what's up with the Jewish influence in libertarianism? It's like there's so many people who are Jewish there. And I was like, hmm, I've never really thought about it. And then I looked into it, and I was going to just mention that, even though libertarians don't play a huge role in politics, You've got, of course, Dave Smith, who I like. I like what he has to say. He's very well-spoken. He's got a lot of good ideas. Gene Epstein, Spike Cohen, also agree with quite a bit of what he says. Walter Block, Frank Chodrov, Moshe Faglin, David Friedman, Mark Allen Feldman, Patry Friedman, Henry Hazlitt, Steve Horowitz, Israel Kirzner, Adam Kokesh, Elon Mercer, Ludwig von Mises, Tony Nathan, Murray Rothbard, Murray Sabrin, Erwin Schiff, Peter Schiff, as we've mentioned before, Charlie Schrem, John Stossel, Aaron Swartz, Eugene Volkov, and quasi-libertarian Milton Friedman, who I think considered himself a classic liberal but very influential man. And again, I agreed with some of his information. But I think it's worth mentioning that still you find these very influential people even in this smaller, less influential organization at the top. 
Here's just a little statistic. I believe this is from NPR, but I could be wrong. Jewish and non-Jewish pro-Zionists are well represented in the top 1% that has accumulated 50% of the wealth of the world. 48% of the U.S. billionaires are Jewish, and there are 10 Jews in Forbes' top 50 billionaires. According to the Times of Israel in 2013, the world's 165 Jewish billionaires are worth a combined $812 billion. Here is another article, Times of Israel. In Israel, rabbis rank among the rich and famous. Another one, meet Israel's richest rabbis. Now, I wanted to look a little bit at some profit statistics here because we do give so much to the Israelis. little research, and I found out that the yearly profit from tourism alone in Israel amounts to about $6,821,000,000. It has the third largest number of NASDAQ-listed companies after the U.S. and China. A tiny little country. That's pretty amazing. American companies such as Intel, Microsoft, and Apple built their first overseas research and development facilities in Israel. Other high-tech multinational corporations such as IBM, Google, Hewlett-Packard, Cisco Systems, Facebook, and Motorola have opened R&D centers in the country. It has the second highest per capita of billionaires. It is this little country, seventh largest arms exporter. Again, about the size of New Jersey. According to Haaretz, an Israeli news site, Egypt, Algeria, Pakistan, Morocco, and the UAE were among clients of Israeli defense industries. I thought that they were against the Muslims. 2020, again, this is from the Israeli news site Haaretz, Israel's arms exports up 77% in 2020. Over the last few decades, Israel has reportedly sold weapons to approximately 130 countries, and yet when one digs a little, it is impossible to find a full list of those countries. This list includes apartheid South Africa, the military junta of Argentina, the Serbian army during the Bosnian genocide, and Rwanda in the years leading up to the genocide in the country. More recently, Israel has sold arms to South Sudan and the military junta in Myanmar. Countries like Morocco, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, and others have began using Israeli spyware against journalists and political opposition. This is from foreignpolicy.com. Take it for what you will. Does Israel have chemical weapons? A newly discovered CIA document indicates that Israel likely built up a chemical arsenal of its own. It is almost universally believed in intelligence circles here in Washington that Israel possesses a stockpile of several hundred fission nuclear weapons and perhaps even some high-yield thermonuclear weapons. Analysts believe the Israeli government built the nuclear stockpile in the 1960s and 70s as a hedge against the remote possibility that the armies of its Arab neighbors could someday overwhelm the Israeli military. But nuclear weapons are not the only weapons of mass destruction that Israel has constructed. Reports have circulated in arms control circles for almost 20 years, and this article is from 2013, by the way, 
that Israel secretly manufactured a stockpile of chemical and biological weapons to complement its nuclear arsenal. Much of the attention has been focused on the research and development work being conducted at the Israeli government's secretive Israel Institute for Biological Research at Nes Zayana, located 20 kilometers south of Tel Aviv. Well, that doesn't really surprise me. And people will just say, well, you know, they need it because of all the Muslim countries, many of which they're selling arms to. So that kind of goes against that whole thing. But they'll say, Iran, Iran, Iran. Countries who export arms to Israel, U.S., Germany, Canada, Italy. Companies include Lockheed, Boeing, General Dynamics, Thyssen Krupp. Do you know that Thyssen, if memory serves me correctly, was working directly with the Nazis? BAE, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, and various U.K. companies. Of course, Biden approved... I believe it was a record $735 million arms deal for Israel. But that's nothing new. The presidents, the last few presidents, have been doing similar things, and it just keeps going up more and more money. Here is Reuters 2016. U.S. signs a $38 billion military aid deal to Israel. We know that Israel has business dealings with Russia and China as well. And I thought this one was pretty darn intriguing here. This is from the JewishBusinessNews.com. Despite seeking for years to prevent other countries from doing business with Iranian-held companies, Israel is buying submarines designed by Thyssenkrupp, of which Iran holds a 4.5% share. Ministry of Defense says it has no knowledge of Iranian involvement in the company providing submarines, one of the IDF's most classified projects. Here's from the Jerusalem Post. Israel okays signing deals with companies working in Iran, government reveals. This is another article from Haaretz in Israel. The badly kept secret of Israel's trade throughout the Muslim world. There's a good chance that Iran's computer systems, the electricity in the Indonesian PM's office, and the body armor protecting Saudi soldiers came from Israel. Trade with Iran is an ancient story, says Professor Yuri Beiler of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, an expert in international relations who had researched ties between Israel and Iran. Money has no smell. Iranians always try to do business, and there have always been Israelis with an eye for making money. Nakam Shiloh, an expert on Iran and owner of GMI, Gulf Markets Intelligence, says that for some Iranian businessmen, it makes sense to import from Israel. Here we view Iran as the enemy, a demon, he explains, but not every Iranian gets up every morning thinking of ways to destroy Israel. Iran has a large segment of businessmen who are not fanatics, people who want to make money and further their businesses. If they could only trade, even indirectly, with business people and companies from Israel. Now here's something that you don't hear about too often, but those in foreign policy circles, people who are kind of into geopolitics, probably have heard of this. This is from way back in 2014. U.S. officials, Israel spying on America has reached terrifying levels. This is from Business Insider. 
Israel spies on the United States more than any other ally does, and these activities have reached an alarming level. The main targets are U.S. industrial and technical secrets, the Weekly said, quoting classified briefings on legislation that would make it easier for Israeli citizens to get visas to enter America. A congressional staffer familiar with a briefing last January called the testimony very sobering, alarming, even terrifying, and quoted another as saying, The behavior was damaging. No other country comes close to the United States, continues to cross the line on espionage like the Israelis do. It says that briefing was one of several in recent months given by the Department of Homeland Security, the State Department, the FBI, and the National Counterintelligence Directorate. The former congressional staffer said the intelligence agencies did not give specifics, but cited industrial espionage, folks coming over here on trade missions or with Israeli companies working in collaboration with American companies, or intelligence operatives being run directly by the government, which I assume meant out of the Israeli embassy. Israelis' espionage activities in America are unrivaled and go far beyond activities by other close allies, such as Germany, France, Britain, and Japan, counterintelligence agents told members of the House Judiciary and Foreign Affairs Committees. I don't think anyone was surprised by these revelations, the former aide was quoted as saying, but when you step back and hear that there are no other countries taking advantage of our security relationship the way the Israelis are for espionage purposes, it's quite shocking. Israeli Foreign Minister Avigdor Lieberman rejected the allegations. We're talking about lies and falsehoods, simply libel, which is baseless and unfounded, he said. Lieberman added Israel was not involved in any form of espionage against the United States, either direct or indirect in nature. The minister said Israel had learned its lesson from the case of Jonathan Pollard, a U.S. naval analyst who was arrested in Washington in 1985 and sentenced to life in jail for spying on the United States for Israel. His arrest sparked a crisis in ties that only ended with Israel promising to end all espionage activities on U.S. soil. And it goes on a little bit more, but we'll end right there because I've talked about a lot of things today. And again, I hope that it's helped you to kind of understand where I'm going with this series. There's going to be people who's going to tune me out, call me an anti-Semite or whatever else, and never listen to me again, and that's totally fine. I'm just pointing something out that's out in the open for the most part, a lot of this, but nobody talks about it. Nobody cares, and I think people need to start caring because if it was any other country, they would care. And if it was people who perhaps had a real tie to another country, they would care. So I think that we need to kind of take a deeper look, think about things a little bit deeper. But also please listen to this series as a whole. And I know it doesn't exactly go in a historical sequence, but I think that you can learn a lot from this. And it'll help you to kind of figure out why some of the things perhaps have happened over the last few years, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years even, or more. And kind of figure out some things about our foreign policy and perhaps why it is the way it is. That's all I'm trying to do, guys, is just trying to help people to learn about history, learn about politics, geopolitics, and maybe take a deeper interest in things. All right, guys, now it's time to thank my wonderful patrons who make this show happen. 
without them, I wouldn't be able to do it because I'm a small business owner, a father, a husband. I own a house. And now I am a teacher. Yes, I am teaching my son at home. So we've got our hands full and he's got extracurricular activities three days a week. So it's really hard to find the time to research all this. I apologize because the show has been bi-weekly, not weekly like it used to be. I'm certainly researching more and trying to give you guys more information, solid information and references. So I want to get right to it. Thank you to my wonderful patrons. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, James, Bill, Peterson, Rooster, Flat, Dark, and Earthy, John Brisson from We've Read the Documents, Greg Kilowatt, thank you, my friend, Sir Tim of the Tunnels, Aaron, David, Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence, and James. I think James was my first patron. Thank you so much, James, for supporting me. And thank you for all your kind words. I hope you're doing well. Thank you also to AlternateCurrentRadio.com, my podcasting home. Please check out their wonderful website. You can find my page on there as well as all their other great shows. And please support them if you can. They are really doing a great job. Also, check out my friend Brian McLean's show on TNT Radio. Yes, that is Hesher for you guys who listen to The Boiler Room and are familiar with Alternate Current Radio. Hesher, Brian McLean, has a great show that plays Monday through Friday on TNT Radio. I've been on there quite a few times. Ruckus is on there. Corey Drayton. Lots of great guests. And I can't say enough about it. It's my favorite new show. So you guys check that out. Support him if you can. And support the other shows on TNT Radio. It's really a good network with a lot of great information. So alternatecurrentradio.com. You've got all the links there. And I can't wait to bring you the next show, which I'm not even going to tell you what it is because I don't know myself. I'm working on two different shows right now. And whichever one I finish first will be the one that comes up. Uh, You know, I go back and forth because I have a short attention span. And the crazy thing is when you are researching this stuff, oftentimes you'll be researching one thing and it'll lead you to another thing. And before you know it, you know, you are on another subject that is connected. And it's crazy. It's hard to understand. Sometimes you look back and say, well, wait a minute. I started here. How did I end up over here? But that's just the way it goes. It's just the nature of research, I suppose. And so I've got some good stuff in store for you, I promise. So don't be disheartened. Keep in touch, guys. Send me messages. You know, it's underscore the odd man out on Twitter and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram in the profile, you'll see the link tree, which is link tree underscore the odd man out. It's got all the links for my stuff, but I'm mainly active on Twitter and Instagram, a little bit on Facebook. Anyway, thank you guys so much for your support. Have a great week. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. I brought that guy back from Israel, John Demenyuk. It was my Freedom of Information Act, which proved not only that he was innocent, but who Ivan really was. The case was so sensitive, members of Congress would say, Jim, I love you, but please don't involve me. I sent my evidence to the Sixth Circuit Court in Cincinnati. 
they wouldn't accept it. I finally sent it over to Israel, to the Israeli Supreme Court, and they called me over there and I went with the family. I did a live interview satellite with Brian Gumbel, and I said, when they put this innocent man to death, they're going to lose 15 to 20 billion dollars every year they get from the American taxpayers. And Brian Gumbel says, what are you talking about? They only get three billion dollars. And I said, Brian, that's only the foreign aid bill. Look at all the other trade compacts, economic assistance, military assistance. I'm saying this to you right now. Israel gets approximately 15 billion dollars a year from the American taxpayers. 15 billion is $30,000 for every man, woman, and child. And people in my district are losing their pension benefits. So I was targeted big time. By the Israelis. The Israeli Supreme Court looked at the evidence, could not refute it, and it came from the Justice Department, Greta, and they said, take them home. The American people should be ashamed of themselves. When you allow one American to be violated, you threaten the freedoms of every American, and I can't understand this, why no one in Congress is raising their voice. And the reason is very simple. And this may be you don't want to hear, I don't know. And I certainly don't want to hurt you on your show. You have one of the best. You're fair. But I believe that Israel has a powerful stranglehold on the American government. They control both members of the House, the House and the Senate. They have us involved in wars of which we have little or no interest. Our children are coming back in body bags. Our nation is bankrupt over these wars. And if you open your mouth, you get targeted. And if they don't beat you at the poll, they'll put you in prison. Israel is a democracy and is our ally. Yes, right? they are. Um, so you have no... And they should be our ally. Okay. They are our friends over in that troubled part of the world. So explain to me what you see as, you know, why you target or why you have a grudge against the Israelis. The grudge is not necessarily a grudge. It's an objective assessment that no one will have the courage to speak about. They're controlling much of our foreign policy. They're influencing much of our domestic policy. Wolfowitz, as Undersecretary of Defense, manipulated President Bush number two back into Iraq. They pushed definitely, definitely to try and get Bush before he left to move into Iran. We're conducting an expansionist policy of Israel, and everybody's afraid to say it. They control much of the media, they control much of the commerce of the country, and they control powerfully both bodies of the Congress. You, they own the Congress. Are you an anti-Semite? No, I'm not. That's exactly what they're going to say, and I expect that. What I am is an American. You see, I think America comes first. And we have a one-sided foreign policy in the Mideast. And we've alienated Arabs who have no way of fighting. So what they've done, and I predicted this on the House floor, is they would export violence to America. And they have. They have no other way to fight. I think President Obama knows this. I think he sees this. I think he wants to do something. I think his hands are tied. And I think he's dancing between the raindrops, trying to figure how I can politically machinate some scenario to mitigate these problems. Greta, I'm saying this. America is in danger if America doesn't take back the government. 